Part two, chapter two of Under Western Eyes by Joseph Conrad. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Part two, chapter two. Our daily relations were interrupted at this period for something like a fortnight. I had to absent myself unexpectedly from Geneva. On my return, I lost no time in directing my steps up the Boulevard des Philosophes through the open door of the drawing-room i was annoyed to hear a visitor holding forth steadily in an unctuous deep voice mrs holden's armchair by the window stood empty on the sofa natalie holden raised her charming grey eyes in a glance of greeting accompanied by the merest hint of a welcoming smile but she made no movement with her strong white hands lying inverted in the lap of her morning-dress she faced a man who presented to me a robust back covered with black broadcloth and well in keeping with the deep voice he turned his head sharply over his shoulder but only for a moment ah your english friend i know i know that's nothing he wore spectacles with smoked glasses a tall silk hat stood on the floor by the side of his chair flourishing slightly a big soft hand he went on with his discourse precipitating his delivery a little more i have never changed the faith i held while wandering in the forests and bogs of siberia it sustained me then it sustains me now the great powers of europe are bound to disappear and the cause of their collapse will be very simple they will exhaust themselves struggling against their proletariat in russia it is different in russia we have no classes to combat each other one holding the power of wealth and the other mighty with the strength of numbers we have only an unclean bureaucracy in the face of a people as great and as incorruptible as the ocean no we have no classes but we have the russian woman the admirable russian woman i received most remarkable letters signed by women so elevated in tone so courageous breathing such a noble ardour of service the greatest part of our hopes rests on women i behold their thirst for knowledge it is admirable look how they absorb how they are making it their own it is miraculous but what is knowledge i understand that you've not been studying anything especially medicine for instance no that's right had i been honoured by being asked to advise you on the use of your time when you arrived here i would have been strongly opposed to such a course knowledge in itself is mere dross he had one of those bearded russian faces without shape a mere appearance of flesh and hair with not a single feature having any sort of character his eyes being hidden by the dark glasses there was an utter absence of all expression i knew him by sight he was a russian refugee of mark all geneva knew his burly black-coated figure at one time all europe was aware of the story of his life written by himself and translated into seven or more languages in his youth he had led an idle dissolute life then a society girl he was about to marry died suddenly and thereupon he abandoned the world of fashion and began to conspire in a spirit of repentance and after that his native autocracy took good care that the usual thing should happen to him he was imprisoned in fortresses beaten within an inch of his life and condemned to work in mines with common criminals the great success of his book however was the chain i do not remember now the details of the weight and length of the fetters riveted on his limbs by an administrative order but it was in the number of pounds and the thickness of links an appalling assertion of the divine right of autocracy appalling and futile too because this big man managed to carry off that simple engine of government with him into the woods 
the sensational clink of these fetters is heard all through the chapters describing his escape a subject of wonder to two continents he had begun by concealing himself successfully from his guard in a hole on a river bank it was the end of the day with infinite labour he managed to free one of his legs meantime night fell he was going to begin on his other leg when he was overtaken by a terrible misfortune he dropped his file all this is precise yet symbolic and the file had its pathetic history it was given to him unexpectedly one evening by a quiet pale-faced girl the poor creature had come out to the mines to join one of his fellow convicts a delicate young man a mechanic and a social democrat with broad cheekbones and large staring eyes she had worked her way across half russia and nearly the whole of siberia to be near him and as it seems with the hope of helping him to escape but she arrived too late her lover had died only a week before through that obscure episode as he says in the history of ideas in russia the file came into his hands and inspired him with an ardent resolution to regain his liberty when it slipped through his fingers it was as if it had gone straight into the earth he could by no manner of means put his hand on it again in the dark he groped systematically in the loose earth in the mud in the water the night was passing meantime the precious night on which he counted to get away into the forest his only chance of escape for a moment he was tempted by despair to give up but recalling the quiet sad face of the heroic girl he felt profoundly ashamed of his weakness she had selected him for the gift of liberty and he must show himself worthy of the favour conferred by her feminine indomitable soul it appeared to be a sacred trust to fail would have been a sort of treason against the sacredness of self-sacrifice and womanly love there are in his book whole pages of self-analysis whence emerges like a white figure from a dark confused sea a conviction of woman's spiritual superiority his new faith confessed since in several volumes his first tribute to it the great act of his conversion was his extraordinary existence in the endless forests of the okoks province with a loose end of the chain wound about his waist a strip torn off his convict shirt secured the end firmly other strips fastened it at intervals up his left leg to deaden the clanking and to prevent the slack links from getting hooked in the bushes he became very fierce he developed an unsuspected genius for the arts of a wild and hunted existence he learned to creep into villages without betraying his presence by anything more than an occasional faint jingle he broke into outhouses with an axe he managed to purloin in a woodcutter's camp in the deserted tracts of country he lived on wild berries and hunted for honey his clothing dropped off him gradually his naked tawny figure glimpsed vaguely through the bushes with a cloud of mosquitoes and flies hovering about the shaggy head spread tales of terror through whole districts his temper grew savage as the days went by and he was glad to discover that there was so much of a brute in him he had nothing else to put his trust in for it was as though there had been two human beings indissolubly joined in that enterprise the civilized man the enthusiast of advanced humanitarian ideals thirsting for the triumph of spiritual love and political liberty and the stealthy primeval savage pitilessly cunning in the preservation of his freedom from day to day like a tracked wild beast the wild beast was making its way instinctively eastward to the pacific coast and the civilized humanitarian in fearful anxious dependence watched the proceedings with awe through all these weeks he could never make up his mind to appeal to human compassion 
in the wary primeval savage this shyness might have been natural but the other too the civilized creature the thinker the escaping political had developed an absurd form of morbid pessimism a form of temporary insanity originating perhaps in the physical worry and discomfort of the chain these links he fancied made him odious to the rest of mankind it was a repugnant and suggestive load nobody could feel any pity at the disgusting sight of a man escaping with a broken chain his imagination became affected by his fetters in a precise matter-of-fact manner it seemed to him impossible that people could resist the temptation of fastening the loose end to a staple in the wall while they went for the nearest police official crouching in holes or hidden in thickets he had tried to read the faces of unsuspecting free settlers working in the clearings or passing along the paths within a foot or two of his eyes his feeling was that no man on earth could be trusted with the temptation of the chain one day however he chanced to come upon a solitary woman it was on an open slope of rough grass outside the forest she sat on the bank of a narrow stream she had a red handkerchief on her head and a small basket was lying on the ground near her hand at a little distance could be seen a cluster of log cabins with a water-mill over a dammed pool shaded by birch-trees and looking bright as glass in the twilight he approached her silently his hatchet stuck in his iron belt a thick cudgel in his hand there were leaves and bits of twig in his tangled hair in his matted beard bunches of rags he had wound round the links fluttered from his waist a faint clink of his fetters made the woman turn her head too terrified by this savage apparition to jump up or even to scream she was yet too stout-hearted to faint expecting nothing less than to be murdered on the spot she covered her eyes with her hands to avoid the sight of the descending axe when at last she found courage to look again she saw the shaggy wild man sitting on the bank six feet away from her his thin sinewy arms hugged his naked legs the long beard covered the knees on which he rested his chin all these clasped folded limbs the bare shoulders the wild head with red staring eyes shook and trembled violently while the bestial creature was making efforts to speak it was six weeks since he had heard the sound of his own voice it seemed as though he had lost the faculty of speech he had become a dumb and despairing brute till the woman's sudden unexpected cry of profound pity the insight of her feminine compassion discovering the complex misery of the man under the terrifying aspect of the monster restored him to the ranks of humanity this point of view is presented in his book with a very effective eloquence she ended he says by shedding tears over him sacred redeeming tears while he also wept with joy in the manner of a converted sinner directing him to hide in the bushes and wait patiently a police patrol was expected in the settlement she went away towards the houses promising to return at night as if providentially appointed to be the newly wedded wife of the village blacksmith the woman persuaded her husband to come out with her bringing some tools of his trade a hammer a chisel a small anvil my fetters the book says were struck off on the banks of the stream in the starlight of a calm night by an athletic taciturn young man of the people kneeling at my feet while the woman like a liberating genius stood by with clasped hands obviously a symbolic couple at the same time they furnished his regained humanity with some decent clothing and put heart into the new man by the information that the sea-coast of the pacific was only a very few miles away it could be seen in fact from the top of the next ridge 
the rest of his escape does not lend itself to mystic treatment and symbolic interpretation he ended by finding his way to the west by the suez canal route in the usual manner reaching the shores of south europe he sat down to write his autobiography the great literary success of its year this book was followed by other books written with a declared purpose of elevating humanity in these works he preached generally the cult of the woman for his own part he practised it under the rites of special devotion to the transcendental merits of a certain madame de s a lady of advanced views no longer very young once upon a time the intriguing wife of a now dead and forgotten diplomat her loud pretensions to be one of the leaders of modern thought and of modern sentiment she sheltered like voltaire and madame de stael on the republican territory of geneva driving through the streets in her big landau she exhibited to the indifference of the natives and the stares of the tourists a long-waisted youthful figure of hieratic stiffness with a pair of big gleaming eyes rolling restlessly behind a short veil of black lace which coming down no further than her vividly red lips resembled a mask usually the heroic fugitive this name was bestowed upon him in a review of the english edition of his book the heroic fugitive accompanied her sitting portentously bearded and darkly bespectacled not by her side but opposite her with his back to the horses thus facing each other with no one else in the roomy carriage their airing suggested a conscious public manifestation or it may have been unconscious russian simplicity often marches innocently on the edge of cynicism for some lofty purpose but it is a vain enterprise for sophisticated europe to try and understand these doings considering the air of gravity extending even to the physiognomy of the coachman and the action of the showy horses this quaint display might have possessed a mystic significance but to the corrupt frivolity of a western mind like my own it seemed hardly decent however it is not becoming for an obscure teacher of languages to criticize a heroic fugitive of world-wide celebrity i was aware from hearsay that he was an industrious busybody hunting up his compatriots in hotels and private lodgings and i was told conferring upon them the honour of his notice in public gardens when a suitable opening presented itself i was under the impression that after a visit or two several months before he had given up the ladies halden no doubt reluctantly for there could be no question of his being a determined person it was perhaps to be expected that he should reappear again on this terrible occasion as a russian and a revolutionist to say the right thing to strike the true perhaps a comforting note but i did not like to see him sitting there i trust that an unbecoming jealousy of my privileged position had nothing to do with it i made no claim to a special standing for my silent friendship removed by the difference of age and nationality as if into the sphere of another existence i produced even upon myself the effect of a dumb helpless ghost of an anxious immaterial thing that could only hover about without the power to protect or guide by as much as a whisper since miss halden with her sure instinct had refrained from introducing me to the burly celebrity i would have retired quietly and returned later on had i not met a peculiar expression in her eyes which i interpreted as a request to stay with the view perhaps of shortening an unwelcome visit he picked up his hat but only to deposit it on his knees we shall meet again natalia victorovna to-day i have called only to mark those feelings towards your honoured mother and yourself the nature of which you cannot doubt i needed no urging but eleanor madame de s herself has in a way sent me she extends to you the hand of feminine fellowship 
there is positively in all the range of human sentiments no joy and no sorrow that woman cannot understand elevate and spiritualize by her interpretation that young man newly arrived from st petersburg i have mentioned to you is already under the charm at this point miss holding got up abruptly i was glad he did not evidently expect anything so decisive and at first throwing his head back he tilted up his dark glasses with bland curiosity at last recollecting himself he stood up hastily seizing his hat off his knees with great adroitness how is it natalia victorovna that you have kept aloof so long from what after all is let disparaging tongues say what they like a unique centre of intellectual freedom and of effort to shape a high conception of our future in the case of your honoured mother i understand in a measure at her age new ideas new faces are not perhaps but you was it mistrust or indifference you must come out of your reserve we russians have no right to be reserved with each other in our circumstances it is almost a crime against humanity the luxury of private grief is not for us nowadays the devil is not combated by prayers and fasting and what is fasting after all but starvation you must not starve yourself natalia victorovna strength is what we want spiritual strength i mean as to the other kind what could withstand us russians if we only put it forth sin is different in our day and the way of salvation for pure souls is different too it is no longer to be found in monasteries but in the world in the the deep sounds seemed to rise from under the floor and one felt steeped in it to the lips miss haldin's interruption resembled the effort of a drowning person to keep above water she struck in with an accent of impatience but peter ivanovitch i don't mean to retire into a monastery who would look for salvation there i spoke figuratively he boomed well then i am speaking figuratively too but sorrow is sorrow and pain is pain in the old way they make their demands upon people one has got to face them the best way one can i know that the blow which has fallen upon us so unexpectedly is only an episode in the fate of a people you may rest assured that i don't forget that but just now i have to think of my mother how can you expect me to leave her to herself that is putting it in a very crude way he protested in his great effortless voice miss haldin did not wait for the vibration to die out and run about visiting amongst a lot of strange people the idea is distasteful for me and i do not know what else you may mean he towered before her enormous deferential cropped as close as a convict and this big pinkish pole evoked for me the vision of a wild head with matted locks peering through parted bushes glimpses of naked tawny limbs slinking behind the masses of sodden foliage under a cloud of flies and mosquitoes it was an involuntary tribute to the vigour of his writing nobody could doubt that he had wandered in siberian forests naked and girt with a chain the black broadcloth coat invested his person with a character of austere decency something recalling a missionary do you know what i want natalia victorovna he uttered solemnly i want you to be a fanatic a fanatic yes faith alone won't do his voice dropped to a still lower tone he raised for a moment one thick arm the other remained hanging down against his thigh with a fragile silk hat at the end i shall tell you now something which i entreat you to ponder over carefully listen we need a force that would move heaven and earth nothing less the profound subterranean note of this nothing less made one shudder almost like the deep muttering of wind in the pipes of an organ and are we to find that force in the salon of madame de s excuse me peter ivanovitch if i permit myself to doubt it 
is not that lady a woman of the great world an aristocrat prejudice he cried you astonish me and suppose she was all that she is also a woman of flesh and blood there is always something to weigh down the spiritual side in all of us but to make of it a reproach is what i did not expect from you no i did not expect that one would think you have listened to some malevolent scandal i have heard no gossip i assure you in our province how could we but the world speaks of her what can there be in common in a lady of that sort an obscure country girl like me she is a perpetual manifestation of a noble and peerless spirit he broke in her charm no i shall not speak of her charm but of course everybody who approaches her falls under the spell contradictions vanish trouble falls away from one unless i am mistaken but i never make a mistake in spiritual matters you are troubled in your soul natalia victorovna miss holden's clear eyes looked straight at his soft enormous face i received the impression that behind these dark spectacles of his he could be as impudent as he chose only the other evening walking back to town from chateau borel with our latest interesting arrival from petersburg i could notice the powerful soothing influence i may say reconciling influence there he was all these kilometres along the shores of the lake silent like a man who has been shown the way of peace i could feel the leaven working in his soul you understand for one thing he listened to me patiently i myself was inspired that evening by the firm and exquisite genius of eleanor madame de s you know it was a full moon and i could observe his face i cannot be deceived miss holden looking down seemed to hesitate well i will think of what you said peter ivanovitch i shall try to call as soon as i can leave mother for an hour or two safely coldly as these words were said i was amazed at the concession he snatched her right hand with such fervour that i thought he was going to press it to his lips or his breast but he only held it by the fingertips in his great paw and shook it a little up and down while he delivered his last volley of words that's right that's right i haven't obtained your full confidence as yet natalia victorovna but that will come all in good time the sister of victor holden cannot be without importance it's simply impossible and no woman can remain sitting on the steps flowers tears applause that has had its time it's a medieval conception the arena the arena itself is the place for women he relinquished her hand with a flourish as if giving it to her for a gift and remained still his head bowed in dignified submission before her femininity the arena you must descend into the arena natalia he made one step backwards inclined his enormous body and was gone swiftly the door fell to behind him but immediately the powerful resonance of his voice was heard addressing in the anteroom the middle-aged servant-woman who was letting him out whether he exhorted her too to descend into the arena i cannot tell the thing sounded like a lecture and the slight crash of the outer door cut it short suddenly end of part two chapter two recording by expatria in bangor maine